Good morning to those of you online as well, and to those of you in the theater, and for those of you in the junior high room and the family gathering, all of you that are here today, we are grateful we can be together and do this and, uh, and enjoy God's word together and enjoy one another in worship. Ah, uh, it is so nice. I just have to tell you, it is so nice to preach here with actual people out there. <laughs> I have to tell you, I have the hardest time. I could not be just one of those guys that like preach to a camera. It just isn't going to happen. I, I gave my best shot at it, but this is so much better. And I think it's better for those of you who are watching online as well, because when there's people here, I do better. And uh, so I just want to say that I am so grateful. Well, Lord, I pray your help as we open your word and uh, today as we, uh, Lord, expound on your truth. Lord, we need your help. We pray that you help me as I speak and those of us that are listening, Lord, help our, anoint our ears to hear as well what the Spirit would say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I'm entitling my message, What is Required? And uh, we're going to take a look at a portion of Scripture in um, Micah chapter 6. And let me give you a little bit of background in Micah. Micah is actually rebuking the nation of Israel for their injustice. He is speaking to them um, specifically to the priests um, first in that they have, um, they have in fact, uh, compromised. They've basically um, turned what should be a service to the people into their own gain and trying to, you know, what they could get out of it. Um, it's also a rebuke to those who are in power, those who have... Um, um, that, that are wealthy and how they have been uh, taken advantage of those who aren't and, uh, and how they manipulated people and manipulated the, the, the weights and so forth, how they would do measurements in order to steal from people. That was all kind of going on in Israel. And God had spoken to them. And, and, and Micah, it, it, he, he uh, brings us to this chapter. He has been speaking directly at them. And then, then all of a sudden in Micah, Micah calls for a court, if you would. He says, um, to the mountains and to the hills and to the foundation of the earth um, to bear witness. So the, they're going to, he says, the mountains and the hills and the, and the fountains of the earth are to be the, um, they're to be the judge and the jury in this. And God says then, to the people, what have I done, basically, to deserve this? What you're doing, what have I done? What, what is my, you know, fault? What, what do you accuse me of when God has done nothing but love them and brought them in and caused them to be his people? And then God says, and it's interesting, in verse 5 is where we pick it up. He says, oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from the Acacia Grove in Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Now, he doesn't expound on that, Micah doesn't, or God doesn't in this, but everyone who had been listening, all the Hebrews at that point, would have known exactly what he was talking about. And if you remember the story, if you, you, you've read this story um, about Balaam and, well, if you grew up in Sunday school, you, you knew about Balaam and the donkey. But it's not, Balaam, it's not about Balaam and the donkey. It's about Balaam and the, the compromise and the attempt to curse the children of Israel. Because the king of Moab understood that Israel was being blessed by God and wanted to stop that. Which, by the way, the enemy is always trying to stop God's blessing into your life. And, God, and, and Balak paid the, this prophet, Balaam, to go and curse the children of Israel. But every time he went to curse them, instead of cursing, he would come back and he had blessed them. And, he, and, and so Balak is paying money for this guy to curse the children of Israel. And he keeps coming back and saying, 
He's blessing them instead. And he says, why are you blessing me? He says, I cannot curse what God has determined to bless. I can't curse that. You see, if we walk in the blessing of the Lord, we walk in the, the will of the Lord in our life, and we walk under the blood of Jesus that keeps cleanses us from all of our sin, what we walk in is we walk in God's blessing. God wants to bless you. He desires to bless you. It is will to bless you. We talked about this when we talked about the blessing, the pronouncement of blessing that God gave the priest and that we can give to one another now as, uh, as children of God, as priests and kings unto the Lord. And that God desires to bless them. But, but Balak, um, Balaam comes back to Balak after he had, this has happened several times, where he goes to curse and Balak is like, you know, listen, I'm paying you to curse them, and you keep blessing them. And so Balaam says, the only way you can get them is if you send your women, some of your women with their foreign gods into the camp of Israel. And as they marry um, the men of Israel, there'll be a compromise. And in fact, they will start to um, worship the gods of the women that you send in the camp. And if you can cause them to compromise, then we can curse them. God will lift up his blessing from them. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, it's very interesting because as the children of Israel did compromise and begin to worship foreign gods, God lifted his blessing from them. And you know what came? A plague. A plague came and 25,000 of the Israelites died as God lifted his blessing from them and a plague came and killed them. It's eerily, um, you know, significant. Say it that way. I'm not, what, what, what this scripture though does is God then says, he says to them, after telling them, remember this, um, he says, with with that, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high, uh, the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves uh, a year old? With the, will the Lord, excuse me, be blessed with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So God is saying, Okay, what are you going to give me? Are you going to give me sacrifice? What are you going to do? What, which, your, what's going to be your attempt for what you have done and what you are doing to, you know, to, re, to not be under the curse but be under the blessing? And, and so, so it's kind of like, what are you going to give? And, and it seems actually trivial because it is to God. Because what they were going to bring, he's saying, you're going, what are you going to do? Bring worship to me? You're going to worship lambs and so forth? In today, today's vernacular, it would be, so how many worship songs are you going to sing now? Now, how many times are you going to come and lift up your hands and worship God? Is that going to be enough if you are, in fact, if you are taking advantage of people, if there's injustice, if there's no mercy, if there's no humility, in your hearts and souls, you can worship all day long and you're not going to receive blessing just because you're worshiping if your life is contrary to my will and to the way in which I have, I have required of you how to live. It's very interesting because um, the, next, the next portion of scripture here, the next portion says, he, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Now, that phrase is used in Deuteronomy, where God says it too, but the Hebrew word that where it says what the Lord requires of you is completely different than in this text. In the book of Deuteronomy, he says, this is what the Lord wants of you, basically. That, that word means more, this is what the Lord wants of you, and he says that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're to, um, you know, you're to, to fear the Lord. You're to obey the Lord and what he asks you. And these things in here that he gives are in that, that portion of scripture is covered by the text in Deuteronomy. Where he says, this is what the Lord wants of you. In this text where it says, and this is what the Lord um, wants of you. This is what God 
uh, requires of you. The word is, this is what the Lord, actually it means the Lord demands of you. There is, there, there's no out on this. This isn't just something the Lord desires for you, which will be a blessing for you. You are demanded that you do this. Because all the worship in the world will not matter if you are not doing this. And he gives us three things that are kind of a center. In fact, the ancient Hebrew um, uh, priests used to say about this, or the ancient rabbis used to say that this is the Bible in capsa- capsule. It's, just, it's, a, it's kind of a summary of the, these three things, though it's not quite. I mean, there's so much more to the scriptures. But I get the idea that this is like a center point of the things that God requires of us. You must do this, he says. And he starts off, he says, um, but to do justly, to do justly. Now, that's act in a just, fair way toward others. It's treat them the way you want to be treated. That's what just means. You, you treat people if, as if, if you were in their place and they were in yours, that you would want them to treat you. That if, you're, if you will treat them, then you're acting justly. If you don't, you're not acting justly. And God is, God is a just God. You know that about the Lord. The Lord is just, and he demands justice because God is fair. You know, people say, well, life isn't fair. It isn't, but God is. Life isn't fair sometimes, but God is. And God is fair in all of his dealings. And some of that fairness will not even show up until after we leave this world and we stand before him in heaven. We'll see that God was fair in all of his dealings. And God wants us to be fair in all of our dealings here on a, in this fallen world. And we're to be just. We're to stand out above all the rest. We're not to be like the world that we live in. We're to be better. We're to be better in every way. And we're to be people who walk in, in a just way, in a fair way, before one another and others. And, and God says, this is what I demand of you. And then he says this, to love mercy. Now, what's, you, what you want to focus in on here is not saying to be just merciful. He's not saying, I want you to just be merciful. Which is good. I mean, be merciful. But he, he goes further and he says, I want you not to just be merciful. I want you to love mercy. I, I want mercy to be something you really, you, you love to give mercy. You love to, to operate in mercy. My, when my children were young, um, you know, we, we understood that discipline was very important. And how it was met out and and so forth, and obedience was highly, we, we, if we said something and we wanted something, we didn't do it unless we really wanted it, but if we did, then we expected our children to do exactly what we said. And if they didn't, it, then it would be met out, you know, punishment in accordance with, of course, their disobedience. What we wanted to do, of course, is curve their, you know, their actions to be obedient. You want that in your kids because someday they're going to have to, you're, you're, you're not going to be there to, you know, be that influence. But they have to be willing to say yes to Jesus, yes to the Lord, and, and obey him. If they don't, then there are consequences. And the consequences are much worse than what you'll meet out as a, a, a loving parent. So that was part of our, you know, our expectations for our children. And sometimes when it was severe enough, it was rare. I mean, we would give them, there would be two, two main options on the more severe things. One would be like sit in the corner or, or they would get, um, they would be uh, basically uh, in the room or, or, or bound to the house for an extended period of time. Or a spanking when they were young enough to do that. And, there's, um, and we would give spankings. They would be rare, but they would be met out in accordance with their disobedience. Well, um, usually they would rather get the, get the spanking than the, the time out of restriction. You know, if we gave them an option, they'd go, hey, go for it, you know? <clears throat> so we learned that that didn't always work. But, but there are times, and, and I, 
and I, I, I cherished them. That there were times when a spanking was going to be met out, and I would, we always say this. We'd go to your room because we never wanted to discipline angry. Can I say that to you parents? Never, don't discipline angry because you make mistakes when you discipline angry. And so um, we'd send them in the room. We'd wait till we cooled down. Now we go into the room, or usually be me, um, go into the room. It was time for a spanking. And, uh, and we had a little, a little paddle that we used because I didn't want to use my hand, the hand that. So I, I would always use this little paddle. And uh, I'd have them bend over, get ready. And then I would go, not, not always, just once in a while. I'd go, you know, today I'm going to give you mercy. You're not going to get a spanking. You deserve it. The way you acted. But I'm not going to give you a spanking. I give you mercy. Because Jesus gave us mercy. See, what I wanted to teach them was God is merciful. And sometimes what we, don't, what we deserve, he won't give us. That's called mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Right? And grace is getting what you don't deserve in a good way. So... Um, mercy. Let me tell you, when I did that, I always had a smile on my face. You know? Tell you, let me tell you, you deserve this, but I'm going to give you mercy. You know? I had a smile. You know why? I like giving out mercy. Who, you know? Who, what parent loves to disappoint? I, I don't like, I never liked that. But I love giving out mercy. God loves to be merciful. He loves it more than you and I do. That's why he says, this is what I require of you. I require of you not to be merciful. I require of you to love mercy, to operate merciful. Why? Because that's the way God is. He's given us insight into his nature. He's given us insight into what he's like. And he's telling these people, you've been harsh with people. You have not been merciful. You have not been kind in the way that you treat people. Somebody gets a little bit off and you overdo it with the way you, you treat them, the way that you punish them for their actions. And God says that will not happen and you, can, you will not do that and be blessed. You cannot do that and be blessed. And then he says, and to walk humbly with your God. So the first two are mostly relation, relational to one another, right? To, to, to do justly and to love mercy. And the third one is both toward God and toward one another. And every Christian walks through uh, 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 humility. If you're a Christian, you have humbled yourself at least one time in your life. At least once, when you said to God, I need you, and I can't do this on my own. I need you to be my savior because I am, too, too, I, I am a sinner, and I cannot save myself. And you humbled yourself. You know what that is in that point. But God wants us to walk in humility, to live out humility in our life. Because humility brings grace to us. You see, grace comes to the humble. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So humility is a proper view of oneself in light of everything, in light of the holiness of God, in light of the humanity that we live around, the people. We, humility looks at our own failures and does not, and, and, and uh, ignores the failures of others because that's what love will do. Love will let others do what you won't do yourself. And that's what humility does. Humility says, listen, you know, I know what it's like to fall. I know in every sin that anyone has ever committed has already been in your heart. It's already been in your heart. That's what Jesus was saying when he says, if, you know, the, the scripture says that you're not to kill, but I say to you, if you're even angry with the person in your heart, wait, because the root, the root of murder is the, the anger that we have in our heart. So every, the root of every sin has already been in our heart. And we acknowledge that. And humble people go, you know what? In the right situation, I might do some, the same thing that that other person has already done. 
that is not to ignore it. That is not to, to, to um, mean that there's no consequences for it. But it's to mean I understand I've been in a place where my heart is a lot like that in the right circumstances. So, um, so then God, in this, the rest of this text, he basically uh, says to them, listen, there, there's consequences. And you, because you have not repented, there's going to be desolation. There's going to be hunger. You're going to work extra hard and get a whole lot less. You're going to eat and not be full. See, you will not receive the blessing. The blessing is this. The blessing is God pours and favor comes into your life in every area of your life. God wants favor in your life. But if you walk like this, he says, that there's going to be, in fact, um, consequences. And that takes us to this text for this reason. We're, We're living in a situation that is really strange to anything we've ever seen before in my lifetime, I'm sure, obviously in yours too. There's only a few here a little bit older than me. But we, we've, we've kind of walked through some of this in, before in some ways, especially the unrest, especially um, the racism and that issue, that, that has gone on. But how these things have kind of combined um, is really different in what's going on in our world. And people are trying to figure this all out. What God gives us here is he gives us a way in which we walk out of this. Because what is happening in our world right now, the unrest that is going on, um, is not something that is just generated in the natural. And uh, my, um, my black friend, I say, that, say it this way, my black pastor friend, Art Gray, said it this way. He said, Don't get it twisted. All things are spiritual. That includes hatred, racism, and injustice. All things are spiritual. At the core, it is spiritual because at the core, it's because of sin. It's our sin nature. And and how we are to respond to this, one of the things we respond to is, listen, what Jesus did. What happened when Jesus came to the, to, to the brokenness of the grave of Lazarus? I mean, people were crying and people were mourning and family, you know, Mary and Martha and so forth. What did Jesus do? He stopped in knowing what he was going to do, and he wept with them. He, he felt their pain with them. As he then, knowingly, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's the heart of God. God, even though he knows the final conclusion, even in our lives, he can look and see us so joyful when we're going through difficult times, so joyful in the future. He sees us prancing and dancing around heaven, right? And we're going through this sorrowful time. And he could just basically ignore it and go, well, hey, listen, you're just too ignorant to know that someday you're going to be so happy. You won't even remember this time in your life. But he doesn't. He stops and he mourns with us. He stops and he commiserates with us in the moment, the momentary time of pain that we go through in this broken and fallen world. So, um, the... The, the issues that we're, I want to address them. I want to address the issues of what happened. George Floyd, you know, what happened to him? I mean, anybody that watched that, if it didn't break your heart, you have a hard heart. You have a hard heart. If, if you can watch a man who's dying, gasping for breath and asking, asking to breathe, and, and in the last moments of his life, crying out for his mother. If that doesn't break your heart, I don't know. And, and you know, I, it's kind of interesting how people will kind of um, look at that and think that there's a, you know, well, make excuses for, for that wrongdoing. It, it was a wrong thing to do. It was wrong. And, uh, in fact, all the, all the cops I know that I've talked to, um, see that guy as uh, that, that 
that cop that did that, they say that guy was, you know, he was wrong. He was a renegade. He, he shouldn't have been a cop. All the cops that I've talked to said, have said that. So the police officers are saying the same thing. It, shouldn't, it should not have happened. And, and it shouldn't, let me tell you what shouldn't happen. Racism shouldn't happen. Racism is sin. It is sin. It is completely against the heart of God. Absolutely against the heart of God. God intends, Jesus died for the whole world. And every group, I don't even like using the word race, um, you know, their nationality. It's, it's because God intended for all of us, every nation, every kindred, every group. And it doesn't matter of your melanin level or not. If you're little or, or heavy, it doesn't matter. If you have a lot or little, that is not an issue to God. What matters is that you, in fact, can be in a, an eternal eternally part of the family of God. And God desires every single one the same. And I want to say that from the beginning, that, that racism is sin. Not only racism is sin, but prejudice is sin, and they're different. I should say prejudice enfolds racism. It's larger, but it's larger than that. And, and I want to say this. I want to say this. Black lives matter. I want to say Black lives matter. They do matter. And I, I don't have to add on all lives matter. I, you, I need to in this moment say black lives matter. And that people are suffering and have been suffering. And people in our church, there, I've, I've heard from people in our church who have been harassed in their life and have faced prejudice that I certainly haven't felt in my life. I have felt it in my life. There's a couple, two times in my life where I felt prejudice. And, uh, and I don't equate it with what some of my black brothers and sisters have experienced. I, it's completely different. I've had it twice, but I didn't like it. I'll tell you that. I hated it. And when it happened, I will not forget it. And, uh, and, I've, and I've, had, I've walked with friends I was reminded today, uh, Mike Katata was talking to me, I was reminded of the man who met me for the first time when I came to this church to, to, uh, to be pastor. He was on a church council. And uh, he, he was a, a, a black man. Some of you would remember him. You have been around long enough to remember Babe Cox. But Babe became my prayer partner. He became my friend. He became my dad's best friend, or one of his best friends, for 23 years he met for breakfast with, with Babe and another man every week, every week to pray and, uh, and to study God's word together. And, um, but Babe had an impact in my life as he talked about the stories and how he was still, back then, still on a regular basis being harassed. And I know of other brothers in, in our church that have also faced the same kind of thing. And, and that's wrong. It's just wrong. It's wrong in every way, and God despises it. You see, Carol, when I grew up, I didn't understand or never experienced having racism. I, I, I had prejudice there were di for other things. Other, but I, didn't ha I, was never, I never grew up because my family wasn't racist. And I grew up in, the, the, I, I grew up in Orange County right? It's white. But where I grew up, the, the little corner of the world that I grew up was at the corner, you know, was part of Stanton and Brenna Park and, and West Anaheim in that area. All my friends were all different colors, right? They're, we were all, it's just who we were. Never thought of it. We, we didn't even, I mean, we'd tease each other, you know. I, I won't even tell you the names we called each other, but, but it was because we loved each other. Right? We were friends, you know. And I, I had Hispanic friends. In fact, I used to pick strawberries in the strawberry patches with my Hispanic friends so they didn't have to do it alone and to make a few extra bucks. But we didn't make much because we ate too much strawberries <laughs> to actually make money. But with my Asian friends, we, you know, the, the cool thing was in the community that we lived in, my friends, our, all of our parents would cook for us. 
right? So we'd go to lunch, go to dinner, and we had a variety of different foods that was all part. And so when I got saved in, in the church that I got saved in was right in the middle of the black community. It was Linwood and Compton. And I became the youth pastor of that in that church. And we had, we had variety. We had so many people, you know, in, in the black community. And, and at that point, working with some of the black kids and some of the challenges that they faced, it gave me a real heart for what they were struggling with in their life. And I was, I'm grateful for that season in our life. Carol and I moved there. We moved right on the, on the, on the, the corner, just right across the street, Linwood, we lived in, we, we, uh, our address was Linwood, across the street was Compton. And Compton for 10 years during that season while we were there, Compton was the number one um, crime capital, actually homicide capital of the United States. For 10 years, more people died in Compton were murdered in Compton than any other place. We had five locks on our back door when we got there. We didn't put them there. They were already there when we rented the little apartment that we rented. And it was, it was rough. At night, we would hear sirens every night. Every night. We'd hear gunshots all the time. We, we operated in that community, and we did it on purpose. We chose to live there when the options were easier for us to live in a, in a safer environment. We chose it on, on purpose because we wanted to reach the, the community in which our church was. I, I understand. And when I say black lives matter, I mean that. But I want to qualify something. And I don't really want any responses on this. I just want to... I, I believe in black lives matter. But the, I separate the movement from the organization. I do not support the Black Lives Matter organization at all because I believe the organization is promoting, well, I know, I know the candidates they support are pro-abortion. I know that they're financially supporting socialist candidates, and I will not support what the organization supports, but I do support the movement, the idea behind the movement of saying, America, we have to do better when it comes to this in our life. And if you, if you understand that, then you understand the importance. Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I really actually believe that. But if, if in the attempt to write, write one justice, it creates another injustice, well, that's a problem. If, if, the, right, if, if the attempt to, to write one justice then creates another injustice, there's a problem. I can't tell you because maybe because I'm, I'm a pastor, I am getting, th this is what I'm, Here's the question. Are you, black, are, you, are you for Black Lives Matter or are you for the police? There's a corner that want put me, people want to put me in. Okay? Are you for Black Lives Matter or, or are you for the police? And my answer is yes. My answer is yes. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'm going to ask this question. Do you think you can be racist or prejudiced and be blessed by God? I don't think you can. I don't think you can. Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley um, gave some facts, and I, I just kind of repeat, repeat them because I thought they were good, and they're factual. That's true. Facts, by the way, aren't always convenient, right? But, he, but these are borne out by studies that I think are credible. 
on, and, and, I, and, and I use this only in the sense of in the majority, not in every case. In the majority. In the majority, the fact is white men are afraid of black men, but not out of experience. In most cases, the fear doesn't come because someone black has harmed them. The fact is, black men are afraid of the police, but because of experience, because of experience, and so because of that, they're, in fact, they're stories. And I just heard uh, a story from one of the young um, black men in our, in our church, um, or was in a church. He grew up in a church. He's not part of our congregation now. He moved away, but he's in Southern California still. Last year, he was stopped six times because the community he lives in is mostly why he was stopped six times and asked what he's doing here. And his answer is, I live here. So there's an experience element. Fact, there are bad cops. And my cop friends have told me that. In fact, one of them has gotten in trouble because he snitched on one of his, and his because he saw, he saw injustice. And he couldn't take it anymore. And it got him in trouble for doing that. But there are black cops that are bad. But of the 800,000 cops, the large majority are good cops. That's a fact. Fact. Facts don't replace fear, unfortunately. Facts don't replace fear. Fear is still there in spite of the facts. And unfortunately, that means this. The only answer is a transformation from the heart. It has to happen on the inside. And <clears throat> it, it might seem like um, that, you know, if we make enough political movement and a, enough law changes, and I'm not saying there aren't laws that couldn't be helpful. I think there are some that could be helpful. There are some twists. But there is no set of laws that can change the heart of individuals. So unfortunately, racism is still going to be part unless the heart is transformed. And that's what the Holy Spirit can do. And that's where the church can lead when it comes to these things and, and so forth. The, the church has to lead, folks, because if the church doesn't stand up and stand out, I am concerned because the Black Lives Matter organization, not the movement, the organization is, has been co-opted. And it was co-opted fairly early by the socialist movement in our nation, by those who have a larger agenda. And you see it already happening. You see there, there are the, and those, basically, that group has been started by mostly white elitists, white academia, who have actually been the influence in there, in the organization element. So we have this this thing going on. And I am, socialism and Christianity cannot, they don't work together. Because socialism always leads to atheism. It always, it always caters to atheism because Christianity is a threat to the, to the government rule. The mouth of the preacher is always a danger, so they always have to suppress it. And they always suppress it and free speech. It always comes together. Why do you think on college campuses any opposition to, in fact, the, the majority um, you know, socialist con uh, agenda is shut down. You can't speak. They, they won't have an, uh, a debate. It will not exist. You cannot debate it. It will be shut down because that is the only way you can get bad ideas across and agreed to. If you have bad ideas, you have to shut down the other, the opposition. And that's what is happening, uh, unfortunately, in our college campuses. And it's happening in the media now. And you see it taking place where there's, where there's opposition in even social media, where views are different than what is the agenda, it gets shut down. 
So on our part, I don't know where you are, but I can tell you this. Not being racist is not enough. I want to say that. I mean, if you just go, well, I'm not a racist. Well, good. I'm glad. Hopefully, you know, that's, hopefully that's going without saying. And can I just say this? Putting a black box on your social media platform, that's not enough either. I've, I've had, um, I, I had someone who was telling me how I should, in fact, um, respond to this. And they, 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 there was a list of things that would prove that I am, in fact, against racism if I did these things. I asked, I asked my, my black friends on this. And several of my black pastor friends said they got so angry. And my response to this white person who was telling me how I need to respond to the, to the black movement, I said, do you think you represent all black people? Do you not know? I mean, it's not, they're not like just one homogenous group that all think the same. You think they're not individuals? Do you not realize that there's a whole bunch of people out there? And see, laws right now, and, this, and you've heard it, you know, let's defund the police department. There's a whole, fact, the majority of African Americans in our country do not want that to happen. I'll tell you why. They know, in fact, some of that is generated not by African Americans. Gen it's generated by the socialist whites who are pushing this agenda because the black community goes, if, you, if, the cops leave, if we diminish the police department, we're going to die. And you might as well take, you know, the minority communities in the inner city, line them up and just start shooting them because that's what's going to happen. You know, in many of these cities right now, if you call 911, it takes 30 minutes for a police officer to show up at your door because there's not enough cops to cover all that's going on. You know what can happen in 30 minutes? By the time you make that phone call, if you're being attacked or if there's something happening of, of crime, uh, it, you know how long that takes? It's way too long as it is right now. You defund that and you have thousands and thousands of people dying. So those who are standing up and saying, this is what we want, make sure, you know, if, if, you, if you think that's all, everybody wants that, well, there are bad ideas as well as good ideas. And this is the point we make for us. We're not a political movement. We are part of a nation. It's it's a holy nation, the Bible says. You are his holy people. And we have to be careful who we attach ourselves to be, that are, in fact, only a political movement. There's no political group that represents us fully as followers of Jesus. And you have to be careful. I remember in the 90s, and I'm... Oh, I'll, I'll kind of close here with a couple thoughts um, until I think of some more. But, uh, <clears throat> but I, I remember in the 90s, if you remember, the Promise Keepers were, there was this great reconciliation movement going on. Thousands and thousands of men would meet in, were meeting in, in, in stadiums across the nation and gathering together. And, and one of the things that always happened at every one of these events was reconciliation. We talked about it. We, we would bring in speakers. We'd bring in, um, you know, African-American pastors and speakers. And, and we gathered together and we, we prayed with one another. We hugged one another and we, we confessed our sins to one another. It was just this wonderful movement. And then if you remember, there was a decision by Louis Farrakhan to have a million-man march to, you know, kind of abolish racism. And when that happened, I remember there were, unfortunately, there were even um, Christian church leaders who were saying, we need to go. And I'm going, go there? 
this guy's a crazy man. And Louis Farragon is really, he's nuts. He's, he's more, and he is, he is just a total hater. I mean, total hater. He wants to annihilate all the Jews off the planet. The guy is a hater, and he's crazy. And so actually, and they did, they went. It wasn't a million men, but it was a large group, and a lot of Christian men were there kind of supporting. And he gets up there, and he praises Allah, and he then starts off, and he does this number thing. He's like trying to be a mathematician, you know. He, he, he kind of does all those calculations. Any of you saw this on, on television or whatever, and it was just nuts. And I thought, we have to be careful who we attach ourselves to. Even if part of what they're doing is, in fact, what we would agree with. We have to be careful. That's not... We need to be leaders, church, not followers. And like I said, not being a racist is not enough. We have to make decisions to connect and to make our, our lives um, you know, connected with people that aren't always just looking like us. Let me give you some suggestions. Go on a mission trip to minister to people that are different than you. Go find a place where people are, in fact, way different. Let, let yourself be stretched, you see, and, and get a feel for the culture of a completely different group of people. And I'm not talking about going to Hawaii and seeing what the Hawaiians are all about. <laughs> okay? I, literally. Do, do that. This, this is um, serve, serve in places where, where, where there's a need and, and you can have a touch of what it is to, to minister, not just in a foreign country, in our own country. How about some of you going over to the Dream Center and serving there? They, they take people going, you can go for a couple weeks and serve at the Dream Center in downtown L.A. and get a touch, a feel, a feel of something so much different than, you know, than Anaheim Hills and Yorba Linda. Right? Um, foster care. There's a way. We have that. Many, we have several families in our church who have taken in kids in foster care that have been um, you know, that, that, and, and have ministered to kids who, in fact, are um, a different shade of color than they are. And, and how about um, taking in a couple of foreign exchange students? I know some of you have done that. You know, take in some foreign exchange students, and, and that's a way in which you can kind of connect. Speak up when you see racism. Stand up. God wants us to be better. He does. Jesus said this. He says, if you love only those who love you. He, he actually said about, listen, those of you who have, you know, you love your family. And it's interesting, he uses the word agape. He actually uses that word. In other words, he's and he says, even the heathen do this. The non-believer can agape. Has a capacity. I, I remember growing up I was taught, as a Christian, I, mean, I, I was taught that only Christians can agape. That's not what the Bible says. Actually, the Bible says that non-believers can agape, but they only agape those who love them. It says that they, they, they do not have the capacity to, to agape. That's the highest level of love, sacrificial love. It says that capacity only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says... If you only do that, what reward have you? But that you might be sons and daughters of the kingdom, he says, then you're to love everyone, even your enemies. And everyone in between that spectrum, you're to love them. And it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual thing, folks. It's a spiritual thing. And I, I was watching a video, and it was, it was different. I was just watching it. Somebody had posted. In fact, I knew the person who posted it. And it was a, a young black, black, I'd say kid. I don't know his age, but he looked like he was maybe 17, 18 years old. 
and uh, I guess he had gone on. He was uh, he he was a carrier or something. He he was on a job and he went out, and it was down a little bit in the south, I guess, where he was, and and something broke down. He had to stop, and there were cars behind him, and it kind of blocked things. And another guy was coming by, and he 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 got out to try to fix things, see what was going on. And tears are coming down his eyes. And he starts to really, I mean, the kind of tears that he can't hardly speak. But he's telling this story. How he gets out and he goes to back. And this guy drives up, calls him the N-word, tells him to get the F out of here, <coughs> spits on him, and drives away. Now, I know you might say that that doesn't compare to somebody being beaten and killed. I mean, you can tell those stories. But you could see the brokenness. And this has And as I'm watching, I can't keep... I can't keep my emotion together. Because I was just seeing a kid that had an innocence about him. He had not, it was obvious he had not experienced the worst of racism. But he experienced it. And he said, he said, why is there so much hate? And, and I'm probably not, you know, in this room, I, you people, most of you people, you just love people. And I know I'm not, I just want us to have compassion for it and not just blow it off. And at the same time, I have some of my closest friends and relatives that are cops. And there's the, the same thing is happening to them. The solution is not to, in fixing one to then turn and do it to another group. Those officers, I know. I know them. I know the kinds of things they have to deal with every single day. The homeless, the, 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 the mentally ill. They're, 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 they're supposed to be like medical doctors and, and uh, psychologists and all of this. All this is thrust upon them. Dirty, filthy people that they have to clean up. And then deal with the, 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 the anger against them and, and people who go, I know my rights, so I can call you anything I want. And I can be in your face. And they face that every day. You know? And my grandkids pray for their, their daddy when he goes out because he has to be out there in the middle of the night during the protests. So do we have to choose a side or can't we be on both sides? That's the Christian position. I can be 100% because black lives matter. And I can be 100% because cops matter. And the, the, the group that says I have to do one or the other they're the problem. They're the problem. Well, I'm done. And we need to pray. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And uh, and I believe Jesus wants to do something in our hearts. I um, Before I go... Um, as they come there, I'm going to close in, in worship. But I want to make mention that our president has, we have a new president in our Foursquare denomination. Our, and uh, you probably don't know that. We don't tout it. We're a church, right? Um, but we do have an organization, and our president asked us if we would fast and pray. He just was inaugurated. He just came into, um, excuse me, that position, his very first act. He says, could we, have fa could we fast and pray for the next three days? 
Could we pray for our nation? Could we pray in repentance, uh, in, in uh, identification repentance? You might not be a racist. You're probably not a racist. But we, we can identify with the sin of our nation, and we can ask God to forgive us as a nation for our sinfulness, whether it's racism or prejudice. And like I said, to prejudge is something else. And I think that we need to repent, too, for what we've done to our police force and the way in which we have, we have in fact, um, um, villainized them as well. And, uh, you know, my, like I said, my, my, black, you know, my, my, uh, my friends, my cop friends say they're, they're bad cops, but they're not the majority. We need to find a way to stop them and get them out of the forest, but we need to pray, okay? So we're going to do that, fast and pray, and then Wednesday night in our live, live stream, we're going to have a time of prayer, and uh, we're going to do that as well and join in and uh, share. Are you ready to worship Jesus? Yeah, let's do that. He's our, he, he, he loves mercy. Don't you love that about God? He loves mercy? Let's worship.
Everybody.